Welcome back to He's on Fire podcast. He's on fire! I am really glad we are returning this week with better news than last week. Although, I'm still going to get picky about the 90 yards, 90 plus yards of penalties that we had again. But everything turned out okay. 35 to 13, over 400 yards of offense again. And we have our special guest tonight, Ralph Amson. He's going to be joining us talking all about the Arizona State Sun Devils and what we need to do to continue to have the season we believe that we have. So we're going to discuss it all tonight. He's on Fire Podcast. Let's go. That song just hits a little different after a win, doesn't it? Last week, I didn't want to hear that shit. That was absolutely horrid, especially after what we all had to put up with. But we are finally back on the winning column. We are we are three and one. Everything seems to be okay right now in Sun Devil Nation. You know, I've I've checked the Facebook posts and I've checked the Twitter accounts on people, and everybody was very worried to start everything off. But I want to bring in our guest speaker now, Ralph Amsden to the podcast. He is a co-host on Pac-12 Apostles. He has his own podcast, The Devil Train. He has about a million and one more things that he does as well too. Ralph, how are you doing, man? I'm good. I appreciate you having me on. Hope everybody's in a better mood than last week. Last week was an absolute train wreck for everybody, including me. Uh, Not so much Joe Healy, not so much Brad Denny, considering that their expectations might not have been as high as other people's. Mine were super high. I listened to your podcast. You said yours was super high. And this Colorado game absolutely ended up being a huge game, not just like for the season, for Herm Edwards in general. So let's get right into this game. What did you see to start out with in the first half from the Sun Devils? Give me some highlights or whatever's on your mind. I think... The the expectation coming in was that you had a t- Colorado team with 20 straight drives where they hadn't produced any points. And so, you know, if you're going to come out and let them score right away, then, you know, that, then I think you're going to give everybody room to get very nervous. But going up 14 nothing was um, – I, I think that that was extremely important, even though, you know, it, it wasn't the prettiest football in the world. Jaden Daniels is still running a lot more than I think – most people would be would be comfortable with. I think sure. you'd want, you know, his runs to come on some of those uh, designed runs that, that they actually had for him in the second and third quarters. Uh, then to see him scrambling all the time, not be be able to find open receivers or anything like that. But to see Johnny Wilson have a positive play early on, to see Curtis Hodges have a positive play early on, starts to get the monkey off your back on a lot of the negative stuff that happened last week in Provo. 
I completely agree, but I just, I got to point out the 90 yards and penalties. Now, we still had more, we had more yards, but less penalties than Colorado. Colorado had more timely penalties than we had, obviously. What are your thoughts just on the penalty situation from where we've been at all season to right now, including this game? I don't necessarily correlate penalty yards with a, a lack of success. Sometimes a lot of penalty yards is indicative of a team that is actually able to produce a lot of yards that has a lot of explosive plays. Obviously a couple of big uh, penalties came um, negating long DJ Taylor returns. I think that's going to be stuff that you want to cut down on. This team is probably been most inconsistent on special teams above any other uh, thing that they have going on. And so uh, I also noticed DJ Taylor is a very emotional player. <laughs> through about a 20 second tantrum when a kickoff went over his head and you know, he's not going to be very uh, happy with his teammates. If, if, if they're cutting back on some of those uh, great returns he has when he actually gets the ball in his hands. So, um, I mean, the, the, the targeting call green kicked out of the game. I mean, that's, that's a type of stuff like that's gonna happen. I, I, I watched the rest of the Pac-12 games. I'm actually watching USC and Oregon State right now, and Oregon State is killing USC. And uh, you watch some of the penalties that happen across the conference, and I would say that uh, it was pretty much par for the course for ASU today. They weren't going to eliminate everything, um, but the special team stuff is where where it's really concerning because it's just again and again and again and again. And you might cost yourself a touchdown um, if it keeps up. That's absolutely going to happen because he looks electric. And going back to the penalties real quick, one of them was on Case Hatch, too. I think that was the block in the back, if I'm not mistaken. And how many yeah. times do you see Case Hatch actually committing penalties? You know, so I hope that's a one-off, but the special teams is an issue. The only Todd Graham holdover right now as well. I just want to throw that out there as a little tidbit. Uh you look at the rest of the game, and I think the the average fickle fan is going to go into this and say, you know what? We were supposed to win this game. We were supposed to go in and kick their ass. You said it on your podcast that the fact that it's a 14-and-a-half-point line should be a slap in the face to the Sun Devils. So you said something ar- around those margins. and yeah, we, yeah, Didn't I say it should be about like 20-and-a-half or something uh, like 21 that? 21 sounds like, but 20-and-a-half, somewhere around there, absolutely. And, and what, what they... What'd they win by, 22? 22. There you go. Ralph Stradamus at it again. <laughs> it's so. just that they, they didn't have the ability to move the ball. And I think um, I, I had seen that they were midway through the fourth quarter at about 170 yards total offense, and that feels about right. And a lot of it came on scrambles, and you can't always account for stuff like that. Brendan Lewis is an athletic quarterback, um, but they, they're just not finding a way to scheme their wide receivers open. And you're not going to find a way to do it against the disciplined Arizona state defense, as long as they actually are disciplined. And we actually looked a little bit disciplined tonight. It really looked like things changed to a point, especially on the defensive end. And obviously offensively, we were able to communicate. So I didn't expect to see those three, four, five blundered plays plus however many offensive line uh, blunder penalties that we had. We did, however, outgain them 439 to 250, passing 272 to 67. Granted, 30 of those and a touchdown was from Ricky Pearsall. Rushing, they actually outgained us 183 to 167. Ralph, do you attribute that to the defensive line, a good play scheming? Why was Colorado able to gash us, especially to start the second half on that first drive? 
I think a lot of it is just Brendan Lewis's athleticism. I mean, Jarek Broussard is the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. I you can't sleep on on him, and they, they actually have a pair of very good running backs. One that was good before Jarek Broussard was, uh, you know, came back from his second um, ACL surgery. So. Um, it, it shouldn't surprise anybody that they have the ability to move the ball in the running game. Um, but I think a, a, quite a few of those yards on a couple of different plays came from Brendan Lewis finding a way um, to to get past the, the first level of the defense or scramble out of the way. And, you know, you're going to give up yards like that, just like Colorado did uh, against Arizona State. Oh, JV with the take in here. Hot take. Urban leaves Jacksonville to take the USC job. Yeah, that's the that, that's what everyone's thinking, but I don't want to get into that right now. Considering I just want to revel in the fact that USC sucks. I really do. <laughs> um, so a, a few other Pac-12 games tonight that happened that were really interesting, and we'll get back into the ASU Colorado. Um, oh, man, I hate these ads that just automatically start playing in your ears when you're trying to click on something. Uh, UCLA over Stanford. That was the one. Now, I was moving today. I moved all day and still have energy to do a podcast tonight, and I'm, and I'm loving fun. life. Oh, yeah. All the caffeine and Dr. Pepper in the world over here right now. So 35-24, UCLA beat Stanford. That's who we play next week, and they had 14 points in the fourth quarter to really uh, tighten everything down. Were you able to watch any of the UCLA Stanford game? Yeah, yeah, it's kind of the emergence of Kyle Phillips. He hasn't he he hasn't had very many uh, good games so far in in his college career, and this was a marquee one. Um, I think I think that he adds a, another dimension to that offense to have a threat at wide receiver. They're very good at tight end. They're very good at running back. They're pretty solid on the offensive line. And, and even though, um, uh, their, their quarterback looks banged up, uh, he, he was able to come back in after, um, sustaining an arm injury. And, and they had, uh, the younger Garbers, Ethan Garbers in there for uh, a red zone drive. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson was able to actually like come back into the game and throw the touchdown pass that put the game away. Uh, and so that 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 was uh, pretty encouraging. If if you're if you're a UCLA fan, Stanford looked pretty good on offense, um, and I don't think UCLA defensively. Um, I, I don't think they're exactly where Chip Kelly wants the team to be yet. Uh, but they they also have the ability to create turnovers. They're a very talented team, and they have Herm's number so far. Well, damn it. That was the next thing I was about to ask. How are we going to stack up again against them next week? And you just kind of answered it right there. Do you think it's going to be the same old, same old? Or is ASU actually going to be able to do some things to slow them down and come out with a W? I think you have to. I think Fresno State kind of showed the the model. You, you got to see if you can get an early lead on them, which will dissuade them from feeding the, the ball to Charbonnet and Brown. They're two very talented running backs. And then if you have to worry about two really talented running backs, they might catch it and play action with uh, Dulcich, their tight end. Dorian Thompson Robinson is so fast. And so, um, you know, even even if you are finding a way to to get him out of the pocket, he, he still might find a way to get some yards on you. And, and uh, but he has in the past been known to turn the ball over repeatedly um, in situations in which they get behind. Um, but he also has a really short memory. He can make up for a lot of points in a short amount of time as well. I think 
they had that game where they came back and beat Washington State after being down like 35 in the second half back in 2019. So um, he's a wild card. Um, he's not a guy that's going to go out and get you three to four touchdown passes against major uh, competition, sure. but they are good enough to do a little bit of damage everywhere, and they're pretty relentless. And so you you just have to find a way if you're Arizona State to um, eliminate costly mistakes on offense and continue to move the ball, keep the ball out of their offense's hands, and 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 capitalize on any points you can get whenever and wherever. And if you build a lead, you're going to be in a much better situation than than if they get up on you and they're just able to kind of grind it out through the running game. And that is great analysis. That's why everybody needs to check out all of Ralph's podcast that he does. He has all the information you could ever want. And I really appreciate all the time and effort that he's put into it and the information that he gives. And to everybody watching and listening, thank you so much. Go ahead and share and hit the like button. Uh, really appreciate it. And head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and listen there as well, too. Going back to the ASU game and your podcast and something that you put on the devil train that said really resonated with me. And that was when is Jaden Daniels going to break out? I when I first thought of that, I was like, well, okay, hold on, Ralph, like his freshman year. We can't really count that, can we? And then I thought about it. Well, okay, he has all that experience freshman year, comes back next year. New OC had what four games. Okay, I I understand that. And then shortened off season, and then they finally come back this year, and it's like, oh, everything's been weird for him. And then I started thinking to myself, everything just seems like excuse after excuse after excuse with Jaden Daniels, mm-hmm. and it just is what it is. And when was the last time he threw over three hundred yards passing? And when is he going to break out? Now I understand we have a great rushing attack and an offensive line that is predominantly uh, rush blocking. But he threw for 236 yards tonight. Didn't really put any balls in in places where the defense is going to get him. 18 for 25 overall, but no touchdowns too. I mean, Ricky Pearsall had a touchdown. Yeah, that was designed, but I mean, come on. Jaden Daniels, what did you see from him specifically tonight? And do you see him being able to take that leap? I thought he looked fine. Um, but more and more, the deeper we get into his college career, the more and more that it's getting to the point where he's running out of games to even be available in to, to break out in the way that we're talking about more and more. You look at what, um, Dorian Thompson Robinson is doing at UCLA and you can start to see some similarities like, Oh, this guy might get you a touchdown with his feet and he might get you a touchdown through the air. But once you get down into the red zone, you're kind of probably, rely on some misdirections, some counter plays, and it's going to be your running backs or your kicker that ultimately ends up getting you the points. Um, he is a very good quarterback, but like I said, I'm watching Oregon state, Oregon state has 42 on USC at the Coliseum right now. And chance Nolan has four touchdown passes. Joey Yellen had four touchdown passes against <laughs> USC. When, when is it Jaden Daniels time to have just a game like that? Um, that that these seemingly lower tier quarterbacks are able to produce, you know, against a defense full of five star um, uh, players, the 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 way that that USC's is, and so um, Jaden Daniels in high school was dominant. Like the the stat lines were cartoonish, um, whether he was running the ball or passing the ball, whatever it was. And, and I think one of the things that I said on the devil train was I, I expected that of him going up against UNLV because that would have been about the tier of player that he was just embarrassing um, throughout his high school career. He has remained cool, calm, 
collected. He's got the moxie. Um, he's got the right mindset. He, he has come back in the face of um, multiple turnovers to have the game that he had today. Um, so there's a lot of positive there with Jaden Daniels. But at the end of the day, um, if you were to just stack the last, you know, six meaningful contributing starting quarterbacks up against each other, where would you sandwich Jaden Daniels in there as far as production? You, and and you, you could even include the quarterbacks who left Arizona State to have, you know, 10,000 yard passing career like Brady White did or end up in the NFL like Bryce Perkins. If you were to add all of those people um, together, you probably put him above Blake Barnett. But would he be above Taylor Kelly? Probably not. Would he be above Mike Bercovici? Probably not. Um, and that's a sobering thing because of the amount of hype that he came in with. Uh, and unless he starts to produce at that level, um, then I think there's just going to be a lot of resentment there from the fans because that's what happens when you get a gap between reality and expectations. It fills with um, resentment and what if and and all that stuff. And even though he could be winning, I mean, I, look at it this way. It is not unfair to criticize Jaden Daniels. And I know this because I just watched Oklahoma win their 11th straight game in which Spencer Rattler mounted a game-winning drive and the entire time the fan base was booing him and calling for his backup when he was in the middle of a game-winning drive of which it was their 11th straight victory, including multiple victories over top 10 teams. And they are booing him and calling for his backup. So if you're an Arizona State fan and you say, well, it's unfair to question Jaden Daniels, is it? Is it? Because look look at what's happening at the real schools. Like, they're winning Ooh. and they're still pissed off. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I remember Taylor Kelly over and over and over again, people booing him whenever he went three and out or something like that. And people calling for Mike Berkovici. This is, that's not uncommon to do, but from where we're at and where Jaden Daniels was ranked, it's incredible that we're even having this conversation to begin with. Now, my question to you is, is this because of Herm Edwards' coaching style? Does this have something to do with it where he likes to he likes to coach NFL football at the NCAA level? Is this part of on him? Or, I mean, you just brought up Joey Yellen, so part of me thinks like not. So give me your thoughts on that. Uh, I look back. So Herm doesn't have anything to do with the offense. He doesn't have anything to do with anything other than deciding whether to go for it or or not on a on a fourth down field goal attempt like the offense is in Zach Hill's hands the defense is in Antonio Pierce's hands he has the ability to overrule them on stuff but for the most part if you check in on the sideline he got a little golf scorecard that he's marking down on in, in pencil he's keeping track of stuff but he's not he's not the one that is actually responsible for uh, the the blitz packages or who, who Antonio Pierce is going to send or what Zach Hill is going to call on any given down. So you got to take Herm completely out of it. I don't think he has any responsibility for anything that's going on. So if you look at Zach Hill, you know, I'm a Mountain West football fan. I'm a Wyoming fan. And so I have plenty of experience with Zach Hill. Happy to have him out of the Mountain West and off mm -hmm. of a Boise State sideline. But if you look at his last year at Boise State, he had three true freshman quarterbacks, all of which produced at a high level. All true freshmen, all of which produced at a high level, which is part of what made him so attractive to get him out to Arizona State. If he can have 
success with three different true freshmen in Boise State's offense. And you might say, well, that's against Mountain West defenses. Well, ask the rest of the Pac-12 what Mountain West defenses are actually like. Um, it, if he can have success with three true freshmen at Boise State with, with their talent level against some pretty good defenses, why isn't that happening at Arizona State? And I think the thing that you have to come back to is um, Jaden Daniels and the receivers. The, the the receivers haven't been uh, what you need them to be, what their recruiting yep. pedigree said that they would be this early on. Um, with the the level at which they're recruiting at receiver, there's absolutely no reason Ricky Pearsall or Andre Johnson should ever even be on the field. They're just lowly Arizona three stars, but they're out there uh, contributing, blocking, you know, do, doing everything that you need them to do. It should be the LV Bunkley, Shelton, and Johnny Wilson and Elijah Badger show, which it was a little bit tonight. I mean, you definitely have to give those guys credit tonight, but you know, I, I'm definitely not here to be a downer in the, in the middle of a, a 22 point win over a team that almost knocked over a, or no. knocked off a team that was Being top realistic. five at the time. Yeah. But, but if you are looking at Jaden Daniels and saying like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? I think we're at the point where it's no, I think we, we know who he is. He is somebody who takes care of the ball is dangerous with his feet and gives the offense every option that would ever need to succeed in any scenario. He is not the guy who we saw on the final drive against Washington state, his freshman year, who put the whole team on his back, ran it in for a touchdown. You know, he's not that every single game. That's the outlier. The regression to the mean is, is this is a, is a no turnover game in which he puts together about 270 some yards of offense on his own and the team wins like, and you should be okay with that. But ultimately you're going to want somebody in there in the pack 12, um, by the way, you can't complain because the pack 12 has had 28 quarterbacks amongst the 12 teams take meaningful snaps. And we're talking non blowout snaps. And then if, there's another three or four quarterbacks, including Trayson or uh, Trenton Borgay. On top of that, 28 quarterbacks have played meaningful snaps amongst 12 different teams. So Arizona State's incredibly blessed to have had one quarterback that they've been able to rely on for the first four games of the season. He's just not going to be three. He's not going to be Andrew Walter. He's not going to be 350 yards for touchdowns. His whole thing is if he eliminates mistakes in his game, then you're going to have a chance to to win. And, and that's really all you can ask for at this point because not, nothing's going to change over the course of the, the, the next eight games. If we see a side of him that we haven't seen before, then I think everybody should be surprised. At this point, I don't think anybody would be like, there it is. I was expecting that. I think at that, at that point, if he grows into um, you know, somebody who is able to lead this team with his arm, if another team forces him to stay in the pocket, then that's something that we'd be surprised by. He's heating up. I might have to change that image now just after this conversation alone. But he did have, I think I just switched off of it. He did have how many, how many yards rushing did uh did he have? Jaden Daniels. He had there he goes. 75. He did have 75 yards rushing. Add that to the 236 passing. You're about 309, 311 yards of total offense, which you go out to end. A hundred, almost a hundred more than your defense gave up. Yeah, so, I mean, I yeah, mean, that, you'll take. But that's it. what that's what we talk about. That's what we talked about him from the very first year he showed up, and we played Michigan State at Michigan State too. 
you know, he's got that moxie, what you said, he's patient. He has all that stuff. We're just, we're just waiting. And at this point, you're right. I don't know if we can expect it. So what does that mean for his draft stock? Everybody had him coming in as like, what, the fourth or fifth best QB, maybe six uh, coming into this draft. Do you think he's going to be leaving after this year based on what we've seen? Joe Healy has has told us a couple times on the show that he definitely needs to st- stick around another year and get the experience. What do you think on that? Um, I think that if he, I mean, if he wants to leave, he can leave. We okay. saw Shari Crosswell do that last week and just say, well, three years was always the plan. You know, and and I from from my time interviewing Jaden Daniels, talking to his family when he was a freshman, when I was around the program, you know, all, all the time that that has always been the plan is is for him to be done um, after three years. Now, he's in a weird situation in which not only could he come back for a fourth year, but a fifth because of the the way that things worked out. But is he going to want to come back to a program that might not have all of the same coaches? Uh, that that's where it's going to be tough. So, I w- if I'm an Arizona State fan, I am looking at this as the last year of Jaden Daniels for any number of reasons. It could be that uh, he, he decides that he he wants to uh, um, you know go to the combine, show his stuff, show his stuff in individual workouts, and chance it, uh, or. It could be that, um, you know, he, he's gotten his Arizona State degree and he wants to finish his college career in a place where, you know, he he knows what coaching staff um, he, he's going to be going to because there's a lot of uncertainty with this staff. It feels almost as if an inevitability with what is coming next year. I mean, obviously, we can talk about recruits. We can talk about coaches being off right now. And I really hate diving into this so much. But after last week's loss and people calling for Herm's head, it's hard not to look at the program as a whole. Now, I've been a fan since uh, the 95-96 season when I grew up there. When I moved away to Michigan between 2000 and 2004 and five. I could only watch anything that was on an ESPN uh, network and it was usually against UCLA or USC and Reggie Bush getting blown out 28 nothing in the first quarter you know so I didn't get a lot of opportunities to watch those games back then but ever since about 2007 when you could uh, stream stuff on the internet I was able to watch a whole lot more games but you look at what Arizona State has been since the Rose Bowl year a new coach comes in says all the right things says be patient we need to wait we need to get the recruiting up. We might have a good win here or there for the next two seasons, but never really go anywhere. We get the talent. Every, the wheels completely fall off. Everybody calls for the coach's head. We wait a year too long or we fire the coach and shouldn't. And it's a new cycle all over again. And it's a four or five year cycle that Arizona State has constantly lived in. We are the sleeping giant that's never going to wake up. And when I just make those comments to you, and from what I've heard on your on your podcast, you have a lot to say on it. But when I say that to you, the recurring cycle of what Arizona State football is, what are your immediate thoughts and reactions to that? Um, I I I, I don't like it when people get into that like there's a a curse mindset, or whatever. P.S. That's a final. That's a 15 point win for Oregon State at USC. Um, so that's that's going to be fascinating. Uh, if you look at if you look at it right now with uh, with University of Arizona, probably not going to win a game um, with Colorado's offense being completely inefficient. 
uh, with Utah <laughs> being um, at, at one point today, it looked like Utah was going to be one and three. They are not good. They can't pass protect. They're on their second quarterback. They just had another one quit. Arizona State could readily run through the Pac-12 um, and, and go 11 and one and, and have had the fan base call for Herm Edwards job one quarter of the way into that. So this, this <laughs> has the opportunity to, to set up to be one of the most unique seasons in Arizona state football history. But so, so I don't, I don't like it when the fans get to the point where they're thinking about how it's all going to fall apart before it's fallen apart yet. Uh, everything right now is set up for Arizona state to have a very special season. So long as they control what they can control. They finally have the most talented team in the PAC 12 South, the biggest hurdle to not winning the South uh, outright is UCLA and UCLA lost to Fresno state. It's not like they're invincible. And so I would just say that, you know, we, it, it would, it'd be better to talk about how snake bit this team is once once the snake actually bites because there's no point in anticipating sure. it now you might as well throw all your eggs in the hope basket get ready to get hurt again uh because that this could be the year where they do something truly truly special um and it could be with deficiencies at quarterback and deficiencies at wide receiver um there could and kicker and 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 as far as team discipline there could be a ton of stuff to complain about but you could be in the situation where it won't matter because you are the most talented team. You have a quarterback that doesn't turn the ball over. You have an extremely mature defense taking advantage of the fact that so many people were able to come back. And you have so many other teams down and out who aren't sure what's going on at the quarterback position or whose recruiting has fallen off or who, like USC, you know, had to uh, can their coach in the middle of the season. Things are set up. To, to potentially be really, really special. And so I think that's where the focus should be. I, I, I would be, I would be all in Phoenix sun style, like just ride it out for whatever it is um, for the rest of 2021, even if they lose, because they, again, they are set up to be able to compete for and win the South half of the conference. And then once you get into that game, anything can happen. Um, because if you look at it this way, Oregon is the class of the North. They just got a 22 point win over university of Arizona. That's the same margin of victory for Arizona state, which based on its talent is the class of the South against a team that can't really move the ball. Um, and is about as equipped offensively as Arizona. And so, um, but you, you're in good company. You're doing the right thing. You just had a blowout win. Stay focused, keep it up. And, and, and a month from now we could be talking about, what it looks like if Arizona is able, uh, Arizona State's able to string together uh, another two to three wins. You know, people be making plans to go to uh, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 championship. So, um, I don't know. I I I, I say for, forget all that and and <laughs> and jump in two two feet, get ready to to dive in, go underwater, be all in. Boom shakalaka. Diving all the way in. I am all about that. I mean, I do understand why fans are so pissed off and why I was very worried going into this game because, again, we don't know what's coming up. We have no idea what kind of allegations are really going to come out. I said this last week, if Baylor can get hit with nothing, how can really almost any other school ever get hit with a penalty ever again? 
But yeah, you just have to have people. So the thing, the, the difference is everybody loved Art Bryles. Everybody on that coaching staff loved Art Bryles. The problem with Arizona State is Oof. the issues were coming from within. They're toast. Like, let's be honest. The whole staff is gone. It it could go higher than that. It could get to the, to the athletic director level. It's over. It's just a matter of what they can do in what is essentially a lame duck season. Everybody always likes to talk about like, well, our backs are against the wall. Their backs are literally against the wall. This is the last stand. They have the chance to do something really cool before they all go out together. Because what happened was people within the program blew the whistle. And now they're talking to the NCAA and the NCAA has the ability to penalize you based on whatever those people produce, especially if they bring extra evidence with it. And everything that I know about what is going on behind the scenes at Arizona state is it, it had a lot to do with uh, some of the people who were on staff in the athletic department, having an issue, not with anybody within the coaching staff, though there were many issues with Antonio Pierce, but Ray Anderson. And so uh, it had all of them had a healthy working relationship. There's a really good chance that not a lot of this goes down, but Arizona state behind the scenes has already kind of blamed Todd Graham leftovers for uh, for some of what's going on. And that, that's just not necessarily the case. You had a work culture in which you had a bunch of employees who didn't enjoy some things that were going on, all complained to each other, all moved on. And then when the time came, they all like this isn't one or two people blowing the whistle. This is like eight to ten people. Who are all and and now you have coaches on suspension uh, for things that they very likely did under some sort of direction that are probably going to tell the NCAA that exact thing. And so it's I mean, it's over for this staff. And I think that they know that. I think that they would have to. What one other time in the history of college football have three position coach has been placed on paid leave never didn't even happen in arizona when with with deandre ayton and all that yeah right and they had somebody go to jail this is not that serious what i mean somebody used Jaden daniel's mother's credit card to buy a flight and she mm. had the charges reversed so either she committed credit card fraud or somebody on the staff caused her to do so or stole her identity, which means a crime was literally committed. Like someone literally committed a crime. Yep. So it's not like it's, it's just NCAA rules. We're dealing with actual like credit card fraud amongst the coaching staff that we have to discuss and figure out whether or not that's uh, 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 legitimate. Like there, there could actually still be legal involvement. And then, you genuinely have situations where other teams could consider legal action, civil legal action against Arizona state for some of the choices that they made um, as far as recruiting and having recruits around and stuff like that, that might've had a secondhand effect on their team. There's a reason that all the other assistants in the back 12 are super pissed off because in, in their head before all the truth of the matter has come out, there are certain situations in which they believe they were negatively impacted by some of the things that Arizona state was doing. You know, there, there there's two or three people 
working on a story right now that may or may not ever come out having to do with the fact that Arizona state missed three games and whether or not that had something to do with Arizona state, not properly contact tracing so that they would have more players available to them when they played USC last year. Like there is so much going on and so much that's going to be investigated that it is not like, it's just not even going to be possible to retain people on this staff. And because of the arrangement, in which Ray Anderson hired his, I don't know if adults still use the term best friend, but he hired his longtime friend to do the job. He's not going to fire him. So they would probably have to go together, which means wholesale starting over, which could impact other uh, programs at Arizona state as well. If you end up having to bring somebody in from the outside as an athletic director, and then they go around, you know, evaluating what they would do. So like the possibilities are endless for the, for the fallout. I, I think people should be a lot more hopeful for an 11 and one season than they should be for any of these coaches coming back in 2022. Well, shoot, man, I'm not hopeful for anything now. <laughs> that was a lot of stuff that I hadn't heard. I mean, I've heard rumors on like little whispers on Twitter from kind of unverified people. So you hear something like that. It just takes the wind out of your sails for your fandom, you know, because a lot of, a lot of fans out there that are calling for Herm Edwards had are people that are just passionate and people are passionate in different ways and they show it in different ways. You know, I talked to Jedi ASU after the first win and we were both down about it. You talked to Joe Healy after the second one and you and you and LV it's, it's a, it's a different situation. People on fans are expressing the way they feel they need to. But again, it ultimately comes down to us not knowing what's going to happen next or really not knowing when we're going to be good next. And I think that's the right. real part. When are we going to be good after this? Like her meta words, new AD, all that stuff, you know, fine, we can deal with it. But when are we going to legitimately be able to co- become not a powerhouse? I think a perennial top 25 team is more realistic. Yeah, I would say I would say that one of the more recent rules um, as far as as far as um, grad transferring in the transfer portal that could be hurting a lot of teams in college football. I mean, you're seeing teams like San Diego state be able to compete with just about anyone. Well, that's because they have Greg bell at running back who was a four star out of uh, Arizona Western who was at Nebraska. And, and, and then they have like a six foot six guy. They got off the Alabama roster. Like the transfer portal has created this opportunity for some of the sure. smaller schools to have these game breakers that just didn't have the window to play that they would have wanted. And so you're going to get superstar performances at, in the mountain West, in the big sky and stuff like that. And the one thing about the state of Arizona that has always been true is it's where people come to make a living to get theirs, to make their way. It's the wild, wild West. The transfer portals existence helps put Arizona state on a little bit more of a level playing field with everybody else, because in the way that they used to try to get ready-made guys out of, out of Juco under Todd Graham, this will be a destination. This will absolutely be a destination for players who uh, weren't in the best situation before, but want a chance to, to bounce back. And I think that Arizona state should really embrace that as part of their identity, because that's the identity of the state anyway. And everybody's from somewhere else coming here to get theirs. Like, 
Arizona State should market itself as the number one transfer portal destination for players who want to come in and make an impact right away. And I think that if they do that, that you won't see the bottom completely fall out from 2021 to 2022 if there is wholesale change amongst the coaching staff. Forward thinking. I remember listening to, I think it was uh, you and George Reister talking on what the Pac-12 should do before the uh, NIL came out for everybody. And or maybe it was you and, and, and Brad and Joe, I'm not 100% sure, but you said specifically on there, maybe this is the time for Arizona State to take the leap forward and you know be the leader in trying to get players NIL. So the forward thinking that I hear from you, I really enjoy because you just had me going down and now I'm, I'm starting to creep back up again. And change can be a good thing. Change can absolutely be a good thing, regardless of what it is in anybody's life or in sports. It can be a good thing. Uh, speaking of change, something that doesn't change is we have a final score, 41 to 19, Arizona losing. I hope everybody listening really, truly just appreciates how much the team down south is losing and USC losing today. We already talked about USC or UCLA Stanford. Utah, again, looked anemic to start out the day. I was able to watch some of it. You said that looked like they weren't even going to win that game, but they pulled it out 24-13. And then tonight in overtime, we saw Washington and Cal, and I was really pulling for Cal. Uh, before we let you go and start wrapping it up a little bit here, what else did you notice around the Pac-12 or around the country that really caught your eye? Um, Real lack of star power, real lack of, of game breakers outside of certain guys like Drake London at USC. Not a whole lot of guys that you can just depend on to uh, go out and get you that first down or or, or, or something like that. I think Two years ago, you could have probably pinpointed 10 guys and maybe one or two on each team, you know, even like a guy like Isaiah Hodgins at Oregon State. Now it's it's just sort of, you know, who is going to show up on any given night to, to, to make those plays. I think that that makes the Pac-12 a little bit more interesting, but also a little bit more volatile from week to week and, and a little bit harder to predict. Um, you know, University of Washington, in the first two weeks, they did not give the ball to Sean McGrew or Kamari Pleasant, two of their running backs who were responsible for probably, you know, 40% of their uh, rushing production and scoring last year. They didn't give the ball to either one of those two one time. Week three hits, and all of a sudden, Sean McGrew has two touchdowns, and Kamari Pleasant leads them in touches. And then today, uh, Sean McGrew um, scores as well. So you, you're starting to see some teams evolve do some more common sense things dip into their bag of tricks a little bit more but there are not very many people in the pac 12 who you would look at and say that guy that guy in particular is going to be able to do something on their own um i think university of arizona maybe would come the closest to having somebody like that in the south and that's jamari Joyner, and he hasn't played all year and he might not play you know he's, he's got bad feet so um I think that being as deep offensively and having as much options as Arizona State does uh, offensively and when they get Chip Trainum back and when Johnny Wilson stops dropping passes and they stop forcing uh, the ball to him, because you'll notice I think a lot of Jaden Daniels' overthrows actually come to a six foot seven wide receiver. Um, but one, I think once Arizona State – uh, I think Arizona State's in the same place that everybody else is in just trying to figure out what works. 
but I think they've got more up their sleeve than most teams. Most teams That's don't fair. have the depth. Um, even Colorado, Colorado, you know, Levante Chenault probably would have been that for them, but he just got suspended for the third time. He's not even part of this offense. Um, Brendan Rice isn't that for, for the, them this year either. Um, you know, Brit, Britton Covey at Utah is, you know, he, he's a kind of a possession guy and a game breaker on special teams, but he's not special outside of that. And so Arizona State is going to need to take it, advantage of the fact that this is like the most vanilla and least star studded uh, group of players within the conference that, that maybe I've ever seen. And this includes Oregon. Like you look at what Oregon did today. It's just more of the same that they've done for the last three years. I don't think any receiver on the team had more than four catches because they don't have like a go-to guy. You know, Johnny Johnson is a senior. He probably had two or three catches today. Like he always does, you know, they're not um, CJ Verdell could maybe be that for them, but I mean, it's just not this year. There are not very many people who have the ability to just take the game into their own hands. There's no Christian McCaffrey. There's nothing like that. So, all right, what do we got? got (laughs) Oregon receiving one reception, three receptions, Johnny Johnson, one, 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 one. That's funny. And on that Chris Hudson, 29 yarder, they got a 15 yard penalty. So yeah, it's just, there's, there's nobody really within the pack 12 right now that should scare you. Um, you're going to have to face Drake London at, at some point, everybody does, but as long as you can score on the other side, you're going to be fine. Just Oregon state just destroyed the Trojans at the Coliseum. I don't even know when the last time Oregon state won at USC. So I, I would say there is nothing there based on what I've seen, there's nothing and nobody to fear. And, and if you're just worried about yourself, then you're probably going to be able to do some pretty special things in this conference. Uh, one of my other good podcaster friends, Eric from Blazers Uprise, is a huge Oregon State fan. So we're going to definitely have him on sometime as well, too. Maybe when we travel up to Oregon State again and then next year again when we go up there. We'll have him on too. It, it seems just, to be every year, right? It's just it's just an every year thing with us, and that's fine. <laughs> we're all, we're all used to getting hurt. We all have Stockholm syndrome from being Arizona State fans or Arizona fans. And I'm digging the the Suns hat and the Suns shirt that you're wearing over there. Uh, are the Suns a 60 win squad in your eyes? Do you think, Ralph? No, I don't think so, and I don't think they need to be. Um, there it I'm is. Very. I'm very worried about the fan base this next year because I, <laughs> they haven't had to handle success. And I don't think that they remember what the three years in the wake of um, the 1992-93 trip to the finals was. It was three very good teams that had a ton of drama, but were still a threat come come playoff time, especially um, in 1994 and in, in, in 1995, having a lead on the Rockets in both of those playoff series. So I would say that it, it, the, the more that you temper expectations and the more that you just appreciate the fact that we have competitive basketball, the less anxiety you're going to have because once you are good, you become a target. It's just yes. a completely different is you're you're just living a completely different life as a team. Like the way that Suns fans treat the Utah Jazz, which I'm all for and participate in regularly, that's you now. That's going to be people all over the internet coming after you and your team. 
because before you weren't even worth thinking about. You weren't even worth their breath. Now people are going to have all sorts of bad opinions on your team. And so uh, I hope you can handle it. And I hope that I just, I hope that they enjoy the fact that this team is going to be competitive because these windows do come and go. Um, they, it, people, you know, act like the Suns were just good for 20 years. They weren't it. There were, there were two very specific dips that they had to build back from before the hole got too deep. Um, and, and you just became a perennial like lottery laughing stock or whatever. So this window of them being good could be two to three years, maybe four or five years max. The stuff that happens with the teams like the Spurs is incredibly rare where you have like 18 Atlanta Braves style, you know, always good Division no matter what always in the conference. Yeah. yeah 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 that that stuff is just not typical so um or you could just be the jazz <laughs> like you could be the fifth best team in the west forever <laughs> you know and that, that, that that's kind of maddening in its own right so i would just say like enjoy being good it's going to be fun watch more games spend less time on the internet in the wake of those games and, uh, and, and yeah, and, and, and you'll be able to, you'll be able to make it through. Cause it's definitely a different burden rooting for a good team. I, I completely agree with your take about not needing to get to 60 wins or, or being able to, it's different when you're playing from behind. When I was on sun's jam session earlier this week, they had a question where, you know, what player do you think is going to rise up to the occasion and, and what player do you think might step back and flounder a little bit? And I said, Mikhail Bridges. And I said, Mikhail Bridges, because I mean, Look how everybody is hyping him up. Oh, if he has adds this extra move or does more of this in the mid-range, he can be like KD. Then 2K comes out and gives him, what, an 86 rating? So I just think that the bar is being set so extremely high that if people, players, the team, whatever, doesn't reach that, it's going to get ugly like the Fire Herm crowd or the trade DeAndre Ayton crowd, which I was a part of last year for different reasons, but... I completely agree. Real quick, before we let you go, were you a fan of the Arizona State gold uniforms tonight? Bringing them back. They looked, uh, it's very rare that this happens, but they actually looked worse on the field than they did in all the promo photos and everything like that. I found myself wishing that it was an all maroon setup with gold sleeves um, or or even, God forbid, all gold. But I, I just thought it was... It was super extra bold, and I'm glad that they won in them so that people have positive memories. Because it, it'd be one of those things, uh, like like at U of A back in you know what was it 2016, where where U of A blew Arizona State out in the second half, and then all of a sudden it, you were never allowed to wear alternates ever again. No silver ever. So yeah, so if you're gonna get wild with your jerseys, as long as you go out there and win, people will have positive feelings about them. I love the sleeves, um, and I love being bold. Uh, but I think overall, this is this, you know, Colorado had to be out there being like, I thought we played Minnesota last week. <laughs> you know, I thought I, th- I thought it was just a little bit too much Golden Gopher. I thought they they got a little too close to the Iowa State line earlier this year. Um, they got to find a way to do some of this stuff while keeping their identity. And I feel like they definitely did that at the end of the Nike days with the uh, Desert Ice mm-hmm. and the Desert Chrome and and stuff like that, where it still was definitely like, okay, this is an Arizona state flavor. We can't compare it to anybody else. Um, but this is the, 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 this definitely had me looking at them the whole time. Like, wow, this is a, a bold choice and very much reminds me of the golden gophers. 
And the best Arizona State uniform of all time was, I believe, almost four years ago with the the Eno Benjamin run when he was behind Demario and they were wearing the the tan uh, salute to service ones with that had the red undershirts. Those were definitely one of my favorites of all time. I was a fan of it. I loved the bigger Sparky on the side of the helmet. I thought that was cool. I love the addition of the stripe that they finally brought back. It seems like full time because they've had the stripe in the middle every single every single game. So I enjoy that. I I liked the gold, but it did remind me of Minnesota a little bit too much. And I really like the ASU logo with like the three lines going through them. You know what I mean? Um, that yeah. that was really cool too. Uh, Ralph Amsden, thank you so much for coming on. Where can everybody find you on your dozen and one podcast and Twitter? Uh, I mean, I'm around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I write columns and, uh, and do social media for Arizona varsity. That's a rivals affiliate. Um, I cover a lot of high school sports. Um, and then, uh, pack 12 apostles and unafraid show.com. I, I run unafraid show.com and I am, uh, co-host of the the Pac-12 Apostles. It's probably a little bit more applicable. We we do another show called Rice or Wrong, but it's just complete nonsense. So if you enjoy nonsense, you'd like that. If you just want the straight football stuff, Pac-12 Apostles is the place to get it. Uh, and then I listen to uh, pretty much everything uh, that anybody makes anywhere in the state of Arizona. So I'm always happy uh, at Ralph Hampson on Twitter. If you want to talk about what somebody else made or or, or or want me to check something out, I'm uh, pretty accessible and always around. So you can find me pretty easily. And don't get into a fight with him. He will dig up absolutely everything <laughs> on you. Don't do it. I think I had it happen to me before back in the day, but we're not going to get into that anymore. We're, we're past that. <laughs> um, Ralph, thank you so much for coming on. Everybody, thank you again for sticking around with He's on Fire podcast and listening and subscribing. I appreciate you. I appreciate our listeners listening on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Please head over to Anchor and donate to the podcast if you so choose to, to keep this going. We've got some big things in the works. We're going to be right back tomorrow night. Cardinals and Jaguars. I hope it's not a trap game like everybody's calling it, but we're going to we're going to find out. Me, my co-host Jay and Ahmet will be back. Arizona State wins. Let's revel in that a little bit. Let's enjoy it. We're supposed to win. That's fine. Next week's game is going to be the tell all for everybody. He's on fire podcast. Thank you so much for coming out. Good night everybody. Deuces. Get it,